Welcome to the new Cyber Frontier, bringing you the latest news and initiatives that focus on the development of cybersecurity economics. You don't have to be a computer or cybersecurity expert to get plugged in. Your host brings it straightforward, asks the tough questions, and brings the cyber world to a level of understanding for everyone. You can find us on the web at www.newcyberfrontier.com. Now join our host as he introduces the topic for today's New Cyber Frontier. Welcome to today's episode of New Cyber Frontier. On this episode today, we have Dr. Murray and myself, and uh, once again, we're doing a series on wrapping and the things that we've heard from you over the last eight years, hopefully going into a decade here in another couple, and that we, we get, keep moving on that way. But um, one of the big things we heard this year, I'll let Sean kind of elaborate on some of this in a minute, but uh, is the uh, critical infrastructure, one of the hottest topics, and what that means in the future, kind of our tone on the future. But welcome today, Dr. Murray. Thanks for joining. Good to be back, uh, you know, extending that conversation. And, you know, these are always good segments. So um, glad to be back on the show with you. So critical infrastructure being our best performing shows, highest interest in our audience. Um, and we both are in the heat of working with this, even though, you know, most a lot of the guests come on and talk about information security and uh, things like risk and, and how to manage companies and the, the business side of it. But yet everybody's curious about this kind of big unknown because we see devices blossoming everywhere, right? Our world is going to be full of these little autonomous devices in the future. But now critical infrastructure, there's a thousand devices on poles for every one PC in a home. I don't know if people know that those, those, those statistics, um, but there's huge numbers of those small devices for how many computers they're made. Right. So if we think about, you know, critical infrastructure, the security around critical infrastructure, it's probably almost the furthest back because, you know, information security has taken the front seat the last couple of years. You know, how do corporations protect data? How's the military protect data, which is mission critical is their, their main focus. And, you know, for, for a good 20 years, they've been working in that direction. So they have a good you know, idea of how to do this for their mission critical data. Now all these little devices everywhere. What's 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 first of all, let's talk about where you work in that area and uh, you know what what you've heard talking to our guests. Yeah, so I mean we go back in time uh, when we talk about security, national critical infrastructure, let's go back to 2002. Uh, Enron, Tyco, WorldCom, um, um, Arthur Anderson, we had a lot of issues with integrity, swindling billions of dollars um, from investors. And one of the big laws that came out of that was the Sarbanes-Oxley Act, which has evolved over time as well uh, to meet requirements and new technology. One of the other things uh, that the government did is look internally and they come up with FISMA, which is the Federal Information System Management, uh, Management Act uh, that was passed the same year that held the government accountable for its computer systems within various areas of the government. Fast forward um, to about 2008, 2009 timeframe, again, going back to the Obama administration, uh, the cybersecurity framework 
which identified various areas of our critical infrastructure, such as bridges, dams, defense industrial base, the financial, the energy sectors, and what is unique about those various sectors as part of your national critical infrastructure, utilities, um, transportation, all of those things. And each one of them has similar issues, but each one of them is different in its nature as it contributes to your economy, to supply chain, to systems. Um, so, uh, you know, providing capabilities for your community, for um, your country to be able to be able to engage in commerce and, and do that securely in various aspects. So now that the, I think the U.S. was the first to really do that and organize that in such a fashion that other countries now come to the United States, including right here in Colorado Springs, um, through the world of uh, the Colorado Springs World Affairs Council, through our Department of State, actually hosts countries to come here and learn about how we do that. So I know I've advised leaders of parliament and senior military advisors, national certs for the country of Georgia, Mongolia, Switzerland, um, Estonia, a few others. Um, on you know, we've got the same issues. But when we talk about industrial control systems and we talk about autonomous systems, embedded systems, um, a lot of these are out in farmers' fields or in warehouses or in, in remote areas that we don't normally get to uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. So it becomes a challenge in, in recognizing what's important and how we protect that. And it's evolved as we've had more attacks on those pieces of those infrastructures. Yeah. Well, let's take a break here from our sponsor. We'll be right back in a minute. BlockFrame technology offers next-generation blockchain-managed trust and security. Unique non-fungible tokens are used to secure software bills of materials to provide data quality and security for every transaction in your supply chain. Deploy advanced peer-to-peer -peer product security, scale zero trust capability to millions of IoT devices, allow vendor tracking and accountability, and rapidly reset from compromise. Unchangeable, time-sequenced blockchain data provides next-generation security using machine learning trust algorithms and audit analytics. Start securing your supply chain today by contacting BlockFrame at www.blockframetech.com. Welcome back to New Cyber Frontier. Talking today, Dr. Murray and myself, Christopher Gorog, uh, about uh, just wrapping about what we've heard from you over the last eight years on New Cyber Frontier. Uh, and today we're looking at, you know, some of the top hot topics that, that we've heard coming from our, our guests and, and the interested shows, the most interested shows, uh, that we've had in downloads and everything in critical infrastructure. Uh, before the break, Dr. Murray was talking about, you know, those devices all over our infrastructure and some of those things we don't think is critical, like farmers' fields, things that are happening. You know, we think, yes, our power, my power is critical. The things, my transportation is critical. The bridge down the road is critical. But all those little devices in some of those unknown places also fit those different categories that have been identified as critical infrastructure, including like building uh, HVAC systems, air conditioning systems, uh, heating systems, uh, um, and even control systems that are all these devices interconnected in some way. So when we look at a security for them, they run into the, you know, there's unique areas that, like Dr. Murray said, people aren't using them directly. There's a hundred of them that operate for five years that nobody ever touches. 
and they're all doing something critical. Now, the, the next part is they're small. You know, they don't use that much data. They don't use files. They don't have big gigabytes, terabytes of drives like you would have on your computer. Um, but what they do is they transfer messages back and forth. And they might transfer on, off, on, off, on, off about a valve a million times in two days is you know, a year. You know, you're not going to open a valve that much. I hope so. But um, that data in itself might not, might not be that important. So we're not really worried about protecting the data. We're worried about making sure the devices aren't infiltrated, aren't under malicious attack, and aren't used outside of their pattern, what they're supposed to be used. Um, and lots of devices in places we don't touch, little amounts of data, not a lot of capability, paints a whole nother picture for security in those areas. Yeah, you know, you're talking about functionality of those devices. If they don't function uh, or they don't fail over to another device, you know, if it's if it's critical in nature, um, then that's a problem. And, and it could be a problem of, of removing electrical or utilities from uh, an entire community or an entire region. And that could have a big impact. Take a look at this big bomb cyclone, um, this weather that we just had that just passed snow over two thirds of the entire country and Buffalo got killed. Um, you know, you're talking about utility grids and temperatures plummeting to, you know, minus 40, minus 50 degrees with no utilities. I mean, that's a, you know, you've got a bad issue that is now even worse. And so how do you address those? And that's just environmental risks, environmental threats. But if you have an intentional actor who's understanding how those systems work, and we're not protecting the functionality of those capabilities. I reflect back on a Polish researcher um, about three years ago. He published a paper um, called, and he developed a, a, um, a software um, script that embeds into Shodan on a web page. And so what he did, um, he, he calls it Kamerka, which is the Polish word for camera. And what he did is he scrolled, or he, um, um, he um, uh, crawled across the internet in his region in Poland and identified all of the industrial control systems at utilities plants and, and so on and so forth. And the ones that were connected to the internet and you could log directly into them. And then he provided a Google Maps overlay so you could actually see where they were located. And so you now have the ability, you know, as a if you wanted to, as a, a bad actor, to log into these systems and, and change the functionality. He then took that because he wasn't getting the, the the notoriety that he was looking for, and did it for all of Europe. And then a year later, he did it for all of the United States. And you can go out right now and still see manufacturing systems, utility systems, transportation systems um, that are not secure. They're connected to the internet and with that showdown uh, crawling uh, allows you to see what those systems are, uh, uh, an address and to the, the to the you know to that plant or to that dam or whatever that is, and so that should be a wake up call, right? So just back to the point you were making just earlier is, you know, it has a functionality. We don't want to disrupt that functionality. Yeah, and you talk about the wake up call, and and um, you know we hear so often public 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 publicized attacks, you know, what's wrong? And how do we fix it? I think the biggest problem is people put their hands up and say, well, there's nothing I can do right now. Uh, I'll wait for, for some time. I can't fix it. 
what product does somebody have to fix it? Uh, or I have a 10,000 of these things and there's, I have seven employees that manage all these. Uh, it's, you know, a rule of numbers. And it's, you know, as we talked about in, you know, previous show, what's the future look like versus what the now looks like? Maybe this train in motion can't be painted right now because we'll only get a stripe down the side of everything as it's going by at 50 miles per hour. We're not going to paint the whole thing. So, and, and that, that approach and, you know, other things that Sean mentioned of critical infrastructure, the, the uh, real time nature of it, it has to fail secure or fail available instead of failing secure. Um, so, you know, in, in information security with people and their data, if your computer goes off for a while, you care more that your data didn't go away than that your system's off for a while. You just won't work for a while. You'll come back later. But if your power systems go, you know, go off or something happens to them, you want them to fail so your power still comes on and your power still works, which is a different type of security operation. Um, and this is the part where most people are unaware that the security operations for information security is non-dependent on timing. The security operations for critical infrastructure is dependent on timing. And the two don't go together. And most of the time, companies say, oh, I have this information security operation or application, just apply it to critical infrastructure, and it doesn't work because of that divide. Yeah, in you know, there's, um, it, and it's the resilience aspect of it as well. Um, we, I'll give you an example. We did an industrial control system assessment on a manufacturing plant last year. And during the assessment, um, we were able to determine, we saw some traffic going over the manufacturing network um, that was not consistent with what we were expecting to see. And um, the application we identified was TeamViewer was running over the um, the, the network over or the manufacturing network through the business network. And it was a flat network. Everything was connected um, um, uniquely um, to a very flat network. So the business folks could ping a, a system in the manufacturing. So they're a large steel um, fabrication um, manufacturing type of uh, manufacturing business. And what when we analyzed what they were doing, um, it came down to the, they have two $13 million plasma cutters that are used to cut steel that's super, super thick. And the operating system that they use to program the different jobs and the cuts and everything uh, is based on an old Windows XP operating system. And the unique application that was developed, that company went out of business that developed the applications for that. But there was one guy that knew how to do that. And so they have him on contract. So every once in a while, he will log in via TuneViewer from his home computer directly through the plant, directly to that plasma cutter, and then configure whatever that job run is. And so you've got um, the company is not going to replace the $13 million plasma cutter because the application isn't supported anymore. So what is how do we how do we address the issues associated with that critical process because they're doing things for the department of energy department of defense and other clients it's really sensitive okay well here's a better approach we advise them open a firewall rule 
don't use TeamViewer, use another remote option that provides encryption capability. We'll open a firewall rule based on a schedule that you determine for this individual to get in. They can only go over to that plasma cutter. They can only do what they need to do. And then when they're done, you turn that firewall rule off. So using a VPN that's approved, a lot more secure. So what do we do to reduce the risk associated with that process that you're not going to be able to update right now until you get either more money or better technology or whatever it may be. How do you reduce the risk now instead of uh, you know, accepting the risk associated with a, a grossly, um, you know, grossly you know, overstated problem? Yeah. Let's take a break. We'll be right back from here from our sponsors. BlockFrame technology offers next-generation blockchain-managed trust and security. Unique non-fungible tokens are used to secure software bills of materials to provide data quality and security for every transaction in your supply chain. Deploy advanced peer-to-peer product security, scale zero trust capability to millions of IoT devices, allow vendor tracking and accountability, and rapidly reset from compromise. Unchangeable, time-sequenced blockchain data provides next-generation security using machine learning trust algorithms and audit analytics. Start securing your supply chain today by contacting BlockFrame at www.blockframetech.com. Welcome back to New Cyber Frontier. On today, Dr. Murray and myself just wrapping, Christopher Gorog, me, uh, about what we've heard over the last eight years that we've done new cyber frontier. Uh, today, talking about critical infrastructure. I love that story you gave before the break there, Sean. And I often talk about my first experience with cybersecurity was at a very similar in, in on an industrial uh, a factory floor with a machine that was cutting steel. And at the time they were communicating across the network to do things and they actually burned the machine down because they, they turned it on without um, the gas present, and then they turned the gas on later. So, um, or they turned the gas on and then arced it later. So they're running, pouring all kinds of oxyacetylene out, and then they arced it halfway through the first cut, boom. Um, and at the time, literally this was in the 90s, in the late 90s. At the time, we had Mine Safety Association, MSA, came in and said, we shut this down. We pulled their operating allowances until they can prove to us that they fixed this problem. And the only way we could fix the problem at that time was to unplug it from the network and just you know remove the network card. And then it could be operated locally, but it wasn't connected. So we fast forward to you're talking about this same problem years later, and the technology to to have, you know, has greatly evolved in capability, but we still are lacking and are still fighting the same problem. And, you know, I put a call out, we've been working for the last couple of years on, a de- on just those problems. How do you solve those problems with critical infrastructure? And manufacturers that are looking to move forward on solutions for this, contact me. We'd love to, to work with you on putting these things in play. And I know Dr. Murray would be happy to jump in with this as well, where there is solutions now, but they're going to be in the next generation designs. They're not going to be designed into your old Windows XP machines. Yeah. And in, 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 let's go back to a previous conversation at, at the previous episode, culture. 
Um, I was invited by the Colorado Chamber to meet with a bunch of manufacturing owners and executives uh, a few years ago, specifically on why cybersecurity is important in the manufacturing environment, especially now that there's a lot of robotics replacing humans in, in those types of, of environments. And um, I gave a couple of different examples. Uh, one guy uh, talked about two robots who cost them $7 million for the entire investment of the robots to actually have somebody come in and configure the robots and then uh, establish whatever the parameters were for different job runs on. They were doing stuff with sensitive electronics. And uh, the example I gave, I said, well, have you backed up the configurations of those robots that you had installed when they were installed? Well, why would we do that? They're already working the way they're supposed to. I'm like, what if there's a problem with uh, with with one of those robots and you lose all the configurations and you have to hire somebody to come back in and do that all over again? Well, never thought about that. So that's one aspect. And then another was, why does it need to be connected to the internet? What value is it providing the organization other than convenience for whatever the data is? And maybe that maybe it's valid. But um, I said, if I'm an adversary, maybe hired by your competitor to come in and I am going to go to one of your manufacturing systems in the middle of a job run. I'm going to skew just slightly the job run on that manufacturing process. And if you don't catch it, it's going to, those parts are going to get to your, in your supply chain, to your, to your consumers, your customers, and they're not going to work. And your reputation is going to go down. And so he looks at me and he goes, well, I have a quality control system that monitors all of the production elements. And if anything skews, it'll skew it back in. I said, well, thank you for telling me your process. Now I have a higher value target that I'm going to go after. And I'm going to make sure that all of the jobs are skewed in your quality control system. Because if I modify your, your skewing you know, in there, then now I don't have to go to all of those other systems. I can go to just one. He goes, why would anybody do that? Why would anybody do that? You know, you hit a, a thing there, the centralization of control. And this is a big part of critical infrastructure where so many places there is that centralized control. Even your, your example of somebody logging into a system because they only had one guy that knew how to do it. So he's logging into many systems all over the world, probably not just that one. And this is centralized access point, centralized box that manages all the factory, centralized box that changes variations or, or adjustments or calibrates all the equipment. And that's where the targets are. Uh, and the, 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 this benefits in critical infrastructure because people aren't out there at each one. So we have one machine that monitors a thousand of them and we have a centralized control, now a centralized target. You know, the, the danger magnifies for that, that target. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, so it's you get in there, you start looking at things, you start asking questions. And um, oftentimes, if you just listen to ask how a business process or a manufacturing process, how does that process work? You're talking to somebody who does the process every single day. They're not thinking with the mindset you and I are, but then we can pick um, well, how does that work? How do you log in? Well, we've got the 
the password over here. This machine can never shut down. So, um, you know, we, everybody shares the same password and the same credentials. So if you have an Ed Snowden, if you have a Vault 7, which made Snowden look like a cool schoolboy, um, how do you address that threat, right? Group accounts are bad. Um, shared credentials are bad. But you're talking about the person who does the job day after day after day. Well, why would anybody do that? Well, it's just that one person, and when it happens, it's going to be bad. Yeah, oh, yeah, and so sometimes it's just. Onto it, let me do this, because I can. I don't even know what this is I'm playing with. And a lot right. of attacks are that way, where people are, have logged into something or got access to something and don't even know what they're doing, but yet they can cause damage. I think the the port that was shut down, I can't remember what port it was now, was something like that, some a kid, a teenager, logged onto a system, didn't know what it was, and said, "Oh, look, I can play, toggle this." Didn't know that he was shutting down the 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 access control uh, system for whole port operations. Cost like two days worth of of shipping and receiving out of a big oh, yeah. nationwide port. The same thing happened with a kid, uh, this teenager in the UK. He had managed to get into uh, a dam in Oregon, and he literally had the keys to the kingdom and could have really, you know, it, it, people don't realize that the National International Spy Museum in Washington, D.C., there's a segment just on our national critical infrastructure. And I, I learned that over 47% of the United States is protected by dams from flooding. And so here's another example of a kid that gets in there, doesn't know what he's looking at because it's not a, a typical you know, operating system and he doesn't know how to navigate. But by the time they got him, FBI you know, flies over, working with local law enforcement. Um, this kid had absolutely um, everything that he needed. And some part of the, the description as well um, is the kid had, you know, it seemed like hundreds of bottles of empty Mountain Dew bottles in his parents' basement where he was working, right? So the typical, the, the, the typical description of that hacker, but not all of those bottles had Mountain Dew in it. And so what, what I look at is, yeah, that's disgusting. However, it's the level of commitment that this kid put into his tradecraft, who's not getting compensated, not getting paid, but was able to do what he's able to do without understanding what he was into. So how do you combat that with somebody who's making $120,000 to $170,000 a year trying to find those people before they can become a problem? And we, we want to hire those people too. Right? <laughs> hey, let's bring you from the dark side over to seeing the light, right? And, and you know, just... You know, we're not really focusing on talent in these this episode, but uh, you know, that we I have some genius people working for me that that you know that really have the passion behind it. And when you marry that passion to to the, the you know the capabilities, um, the the results are are tremendous. Yeah, I agree, and that's those are the ones we want. <laughs> I can direct that energy. Exactly, as well. And, um, but, you know, looking at, 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 you know, the future of, of critical infrastructure um, and, uh, you know, security and the, the, the connection, you know, we hear often of zero trust and, um, you know, what, what does that look like in, in the utility system? You know, that means all those devices out there in the grid 
can have a way to know who they're, you know, what other devices are talking to and uh, that they can verify it and not talk to any devices that they don't. So if the hacker computer comes in from across the internet, a way to say, well, they're not one of somebody I should be talking to, so I don't. Yeah, it's, there's a discussion, and I know IBM is in the space um, when we talk about artificial intelligence um, now being adaptive for um, an infrastructure such as a critical infrastructure, utility grids, those Honeywells, those semen type systems that they have a purpose. They turn off and on. They, they do a, a specific thing, and it's a little bit easier um, from a mindset to engineer an artificial intelligence uh, threat engine in that type of environment because it's doing the same thing all the time or it's meant to. And when it deviates, um, and it's not because you have 4,000 workers doing different things with different applications on, you know, business network, uh, it's a little bit easier. And, and we're starting to see some advancements in artificial intelligence in national critical infrastructure, embedded systems, smart cities. And it's going to it's gonna be needed because it just the adversary gets that level of foothold to, you know, disrupt economies of scale, um, it could have a global impact. So kind of in, in, in wrapping toward the end of today's show, um, we'd love to hear from Critical Infrastructure Security Ideas. These have been our top performing shows. Reach out to us. We'd love to have you on if you have something to say in this area, some future, something new that's existing, something that's just, you know, that we think everybody should know. Um, yeah, that'd be great. I knew we've got a, a couple of people that have um, from around the globe that have contributed in those areas. And uh, I think of our friend in Israel, his name escapes me. I think it's uh, Michael, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I'll reach back out to him and, and see what updates he's got because he's heavy into the space. We've got another gentleman who's part of the emergency infrastructure down in Florida. Um, I'll reach out and get an update from him. But um, yeah, these are hot topics. Well, thanks. Thanks for, for listening today. Um, and uh, like like always, reach out to New Cyber Frontier. We're happy to to engage with you, to bring new topics to everybody. Uh, and uh, always like to hear about how we're doing and what direction we might you might recommend that we go in. But thanks a lot for joining today. Have a great day. Thanks, everybody. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of New Cyber Frontier. Remember to get involved. Often we think that someone else will handle privacy and security in the virtual world, but you are the only one truly in command of your virtual fate. Join our mailing list so we can keep you informed of breaking news and new releases. If you have an idea, if you have a question that you would like to hear answered, or if you want to get involved with our efforts, reach out to us at NewCyberFrontier.com. We also encourage you to visit our sponsors' links as they are the ones that really make this show possible. I want to thank each of you for supporting the show, and we look forward to seeing you back for the next episode of New Cyber Frontier.